following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 21 of Luke. And while some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and, and offerings. He said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be uh, left here one stone upon um, another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Um, uh, The end is coming. uh, And I've waited... titled this, this message, Awaiting the End, because Jesus makes it clear that the end is coming, but the end's not yet here, right? Uh, it's not coming probably as quickly as they think. And uh, he ends this passage, the first part of it, uh, of his answer to their question, uh, with this great statement of, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. And uh, for those taking notes, you middle schoolers, the, kind of the main point is this, the end is coming and we must endure until it comes. Okay. Jesus says you need to endure. You need to hang in there. Uh, the word endure uh, is a military word. And there's actually three Greek words that, that you would use for being patient or waiting. And they were all military words that had to do with uh, sticking it out in the midst of battle. And two of the words are kind of more engaging in battle and how you do that. But this third word is a word that implies uh, waiting because you have been uh, left behind and you remain while you await the return of, of your, your soldiers, your army, whatever, right? So maybe you've taken a city, you've taken a, a region, and uh, your commander has told you to hold it down while they go off and conquer something else, and you're to wait there and hold ground until they return. Right? And that's the word that's, that's described here by enduring. You are to wait for the return of the king. And as you do that, you need to 
wait with perseverance. It's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. But that's what you need to do. Uh, Stand fast in your faith as you await for the end times. And throughout this, Jesus makes it clear that uh, the, the end is not going to come as quickly as we, as we might want or think. So, so we want to look at today is we want to really look at how do we wait well? How do we endure as we're uh, anticipating the return of Christ? What are we to be about in our lives as we wait? And Jesus, in this passage, gives some real commands and instructions on how we should wait well. Uh, so the first instruction he gives is, is simply to, um, uh, he says, he says to stop looking for the easy way out. Okay, so let's look at that first point. Uh, they're at the temple. It's, as, as you know, it's the Passion Week. Jesus is coming towards the end when he himself will be delivered up and crucified. Uh, and daily he's teaching in the temple. And as they're in the temple... Uh, the temple was a magnificent place. It was, it was impressive. It was spectacular. Uh, the temple courtyard was something like 400 by 500 yards, so it's massive. In the center of it stood, stood the temple itself, which was made out of beautiful stones. And, and those who are with Jesus, perhaps his disciples or others, you know, comment on these beautiful, they call them noble stones, these beautiful stones. Um, archaeologists tell us that they were pure marble, some of them as, as, as big as 60 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet wide, right? In other words, one rock would pretty much fill up this, this room, right? So you can imagine this building erected out of these huge, massive, beautiful, pure marble stones. Um, everything was gilded with gold. The, do- the doors, the, the gates, a lot of the trim was, was gilded in gold, and uh, people who lived in that day said it would sparkle like the sun in the morning when the sun would hit it. It was like a jewel. It was beautiful. And, and people were impressed by these stones, and they were impressed by, and, and they said, isn't this wonderful? And Jesus says, eh, there's going to be a day coming when not one single stone will be left on another. It will be leveled to the ground and destroyed. Right. What's interesting is when Jesus spoke these words, the temple wasn't even finished yet. Uh, it wasn't actually completed fully until 64 A.D., quite some time after Jesus was crucified, um, six years before it was actually destroyed. Right? Um, but it's still a spectacular, and Jesus predicts it's going to be torn down and destroyed. Uh, now, for, for those hearing, uh, this would have triggered in their minds, well, Jesus must be speaking about the end times. And they couldn't imagine that their beloved, wonderful temple would be, destroyed, would be destroyed in any other period besides the last period. And they thought that surely Jesus is talking here about the end of the world. And that in their theology, they had this, this belief, as we do, in a final day of judgment, the great day of the Lord, when he would uh, come and deal with things. So, so they're picturing in their minds uh, this final day of judgment when God would destroy the temple and and be kind of the end of the world thing, right? Uh, so Jesus answers their questions, but not really, uh, like he always does. He addresses the question, but doesn't give probably the answers they are looking for. And he makes it very clear that uh, the, the destruction of the temple will come, the end will come, and there are two different events. Right? And of course, we can look back. History has the advantage for us. 
And we look back and we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and the world is still here. Right? Just like, you know, the Mayan calendar, the world's going to end in 2012. It's 2015. We're still here, right? So, um, so Jesus was right, right? He was right. The temple's destruction would come. The end will come. They're two separate events. And Jesus deals with these things as two separate events in this passage. Uh, this morning we're going to focus mostly on the end, not the destruction of the temple. He kind of takes it in reverse order. Um, and, and he warns them. So, so they ask the question, okay, when is this going to happen? Right? And notice Jesus does not say 70 A.D. Now this would have been so cool if he had done this, right? Like I wish he would have said 70 A.D. He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't talk about the when. Because for Jesus, that's not what's important. And it's a good warning for us. The when is not that important. Jesus is more concerned with the how. How should you live? How should you conduct your life? What should you be about uh, in light of these events? And he says to them, well, it's, it's going to be destroyed. But here's the point. See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Jesus says, Be, beware of false teachers. Uh, don't get sidetracked by those who claim to be the, a, a great prophet or the Messiah and who claim that the end has come. Um, and, and here's the deal. If we get too caught up in the wondering about the when, we get ourselves in huge trouble. Uh, history has confirmed this well. And in every in every area of history since Jesus till now, there have been false teachers claiming now is the end, right? And in our lifetimes, if you're if you're an old ancient person like me or older, you, you've you've lived through several of these guys, right? Who've said this is the year, right? This is the year. This is the year. This is the day. This is the time. Um, and and it's not just among Christians. Uh, you know, 20, 2012, the whole Mayan calendar thing was a big deal, right? That uh, the world was going to end, and not from Christian beliefs, but from other ideas. Um, this, this message is constantly being proclaimed. And like I said, I went on online, you should do it. Just type end of the world images. And there's hundreds of these pictures as people contemplate the end, right? And many people make predictions and will tell you it's coming soon, and they have all kinds of theories about how. Uh, and you can go on Amazon, and there's dozens of books about the end of the world, and a lot of them not written by Christians, some by Christians, right? So it's out there. One of, one of my favorites, <laughs> and I don't get how this works, but there's a whole series of books on uh, when the world will end and how you can survive it. So, okay, so it's not only does the world end, but you can live through it. Good news, Right. Uh, it's like, well, technically that wouldn't be the end then, right? The end means, like, it's over, right? And you don't survive. But nonetheless, there's books that they sell. Um, Jesus says, don't be led astray by these false teachers and false prophets. And, uh, you know, we, we may laugh and go, well, I'm, I wouldn't be led astray because those are all nutcases, right? They're all crazy people. And, and we've seen their track record and so... We're not susceptible to that. Well, um, don't, don't be so sure. And certainly, I, I don't see any of us rushing off, selling our property and moving to the top of Doisutep and waiting, you know, on Christmas or on New Year's Eve 2017, whatever. Probably that's not going to happen. 
But, but here's the risk and the danger for us that I think that is real. Um, there is a fascination with the end. Uh, a lot of times people give me suggested sermon topics. They say, you know, t- why don't you ever preach on blank, right? Um, not you, you know, I never get this. Never once does somebody say, why don't you preach on Leviticus? Right? Anybody up for that? I'm, I'm, I'm in, right? No, nobody, right? Nobody. Um, nobody says, yeah, let's do a series on Lamentations, right? Love that book. It just does so much for me, right? No. Uh, what I get are, you know, when are you going to preach on Revelation? When are you going to preach on the end times? I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that because there's this interest. Okay, now, that interest is not wrong, and it's not, uh, it's not wrong to look towards the end, in fact, it is our hope, right? And there is something about our lives that should be forward-focused. We ought to be living in light of the fact that there is an end. God will judge. Jesus will return. But here's the danger, that our fascination with the end and, and with end times is simply a way to escape present problems. Right? Jesus does not want us to, to, to be... Uh, obsessed with end times as a way of escaping our current reality. The Bible never teaches that, right? Jesus is very clear. You are to endure. You're to stick it out. You are to be here and be present in the now. Um, it is our great hope, but it is not our cop-out. Right? It is not our cop-out. I, I remember uh, many years ago, um, it, I was at a place in my life where I was just not in a good place. I was burned out. I was stressed out. I was spiritually not in a healthy way. And um, the, the movie Castaway came out. You remember the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? And I loved that movie. I would, I would fantasize about that movie and I would pray, God, please make me get deserted like that on some island, right? And I just thought this would solve all my problems, right? I would just be me and, and, and you know, coconuts and God, and uh, life would be good, and I wouldn't have any problems anymore. Right? Well, for a lot of people, that's, that's the temptation, and that's the power that, that gives these false prophets and false teachers influence. Right? People's lives, they struggle, and they're in a bad spot, and they, they want out, and there's this promise, hey, there's a way out. Right? The end is coming, and you can... You can abandon all of the struggles you're in now because the end's going to come soon. And, and certainly that is very powerful and attractive to many people whose lives are not in a good place. Uh, but that should never be our interest in end times, right? Our interest should never be a desire to escape my current problems. A way of not facing up and dealing with the reality I'm in at the moment. Um, and, and, and as we disciple and mentor people, we need to help them deal with life here and now, not by fantasizing about the end of the world and by escaping life's problems through the, through the rapture or through the return of Christ. Uh, we need to learn how to endure, how to patiently wait for his return in a way that engages the present healthy, strong, uh, taking on the problems that we face, as we'll see in a moment. Right? So, Because we, we need to stand strong in our faith, he says, not constantly try to escape our problems by fantasizing about the end. Okay, second thing he, he, he says. He says, don't panic. Don't panic. 
Right? Any of you in panic mode yet? That's <laughs> um, so what he says. He says, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Right? He says, these things got to happen, but these are not the end. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Right? Jesus says, look, there's, there's going to come political turmoil, wars and chaos in the earth. Uh, but he's very clear that this is not a sign of the end. Right? Um, the latest war... Uh, the latest, you know, Russia now backing Syria, we're trying to destroy, you know, all this war, all the turmoil, all the political upheaval. Um, you know, the, lib- the, the Canadians just, just elected a liberal candidate. Um, not the end of the world, right? Uh, worse could happen in the United States uh, in the next election. Not the end of the world, right? Uh, although it may seem that way to us. He says, this is normal. And in fact, he uses the word, he says, uh, in, in the ESV, many translations, it translates that these things must first take place. The, the Greek word that's used there is literally, it's necessary. It is necessary. And the word, uh, especially as Luke uses it in his gospel, carries the weight of divine necessity. These are things that God has ordained. And what God has ordained is that the world is going to be a mess until Jesus comes back. It is going to be a mess. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be turmoil. And there is not going to be global peace ever until Jesus returns. So uh, if there's wars, if there's world wars, if there's uh, threats from uh, radical Muslims or whatever, it's not the end of the world. It's not a sign that the end is almost here. That's been true throughout history. And it will continue to be true throughout history until Jesus' return. It is the way the world will be until the end. So we don't need to freak out and go into panic mode when we see this political upheaval and unrest. Um, Secondly, uh, he says there will be devastating natural disasters. Devastating natural disasters. There will be floods. There will be uh, famines. There will be tsunamis and earthquakes. There will be... Meteors hurtling towards earth. There will be sun flares and there will be blood moons. These are not signs of the end, right? And I, recently, I last month, right, there was a blood moon and everybody, it's the end of the world. There's prophecies about this, okay? This is no, right? Not only is the political world in upheaval, but so is the natural world until Jesus returns. There will be these things. There will be earthquakes and disasters and fires and chaos in the, in the natural realm as well. These are not the end. These are not signs of the end. It's just the way it is in the world until Jesus returns. So, he says, don't be terrified. Uh, These things must take place, but the end won't be at once. So, we need to prepare life uh, knowing that these things will come against us and we're going to have to deal with these things because it's the normal part of life. And we are not to panic Uh, We are not to grow anxious or worried or get ulcers or give ourselves heart attacks when we read the daily news feed, right? And and how many of you do this? You know, you read the news, you look at the news, you watch the news, 
And uh, now, it used to be it was the evening news, right, because it came on at like 6 o'clock. Now it goes all day. It plays all day, right? And if you want to give yourself ulcers and, and anxiety and, and get really depressed, just watch it all day, right? Because it's depressing, right? And uh, it, it will take you about 15 minutes to decide the world should end, and it must be coming soon, right? Jesus says, don't, don't go there. Just don't go there, right? Don't panic because God is in control. These things are necessary, meaning God's orchestrating it. God's in control of it. And as much as it looks like the world is spinning out of control, and, you know, in your country there's going to be an election and the wrong person's going to win and you're going to be convinced it's going to be the downfall of your country, it may be, okay? Uh, however, God's got it under control, right? It's not the end of the world. And you don't need to panic. You don't need to panic. You don't need to stress out in fear because you are not in the kingdom of this world. You are in a different kingdom. And going back to the last verse, right, the main point of, this, of the passage, um, not a hair of your head will perish. So by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Not a hair of your head will perish. Now, I've got, I've got a problem with God on this one because I have a lot of hairs that maybe they didn't perish, but they've left. <laughs> and, I, and I'm really not so happy about this, right? Um, interesting idiom in Hebrew that means God is protecting you. Uh, regardless of what happens in the world, your life is held fast in God's hands, right? No matter what natural disasters, no matter what political turmoil, God is taking care of you. Uh, now, in the verse, and we'll see this in a minute, in the verse right before us, uh, he, he just says, and some of you will die. There will be persecution and some of you will die. But don't worry, not one hair of your head will be harmed. Okay, now I don't get this, okay? It's like, okay, my hair is okay, but I'm dead. Can, can we reverse that? Okay, I'll, I'll forfeit the hair, but can I live? What does that mean, right? And how does this work out in practical life? Well, uh, what, the question is, what does it mean for God to protect us, right? What does he mean that he will protect us? Well, the question is not whether or not we will be safe. The, the question is, will we be saved? Okay, not safe, but saved. God promises that we will be saved, he never promises we will be safe. Okay? Important distinction. What, what does that mean? Well, it means this. It means you're all going to die. And unless, you know, we get lucky and we happen to be here when the rapture comes and you, you get that ticket, praise God for that. But chances are uh, we're going to die. Right? And it, it may not be pretty. It may not be comfortable. Right? It's, it's the way life is. But whether, whether we die at the hands of persecution like the Christians killed in the Middle East, whether we die of cancer, which is the chaos of the world, whether we die from whatever else, we're going to die. But whether in life or in death, God is preserving your faith. That's what it means to be protected. Right? Jesus says that God is going to watch over you and he's going to preserve your faith so that you can endure till the end. Because endurance is ultimately holding firmly onto your faith in God's sovereign power over these events and his care for your life. Okay? Don't panic. Don't worry. Trust God. 
and trust in his loving care. Third thing, um, we need to prove the gospel true through our witness. And this is really the most important of all. Jesus says this, but before this day they will, in other words, before, you know, in the midst of all these earthquakes and famines, in the midst of all this political turmoil, they will lay their hands on you as Christians and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Right? So because you're a Christian, because you name Jesus, you're going to have enemies in the world, and they're going to hunt you down and harass you and make your life difficult. Okay? That, that is a promise from Jesus. We, we need to cross-stitch this and put it on a little towel in our bathroom, right? Uh, we don't like this promise, but it's a promise. And it's a promise that Jesus makes repeatedly. You will be persecuted if you bear the name of Christ. Verse 13, but, but this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. Um, hard words. But it's, it's, it's what Jesus says we must do as we wait. Part of waiting, part of enduring is is realizing that we will be persecuted. It is what it means to take on the name of Christ. If you follow Christ and you choose him, you make yourselves an enemy of the world. The world that killed Jesus now hates you. Uh, You cannot, and get this, this is really important. Middle school students, write this in your notebook. Cartoon this, okay? You cannot be a Christian and popular. You cannot be a Christian and popular. Right? Jesus says, if you name me, if you follow me, the world will hate you. From the highest level, levels of government, from kings and rulers and, and government bureaucrats, down to your very own family, you will be hated and persecuted because you are a Christian. And, of course, we're never to hate back. We are never to respond in like kind. We're to love the world. We're to love our families. We're to love government officials, no matter how much they persecute us. But we must understand that our kindness will be returned with hate and even violence. Um, Now, let me just kind of wrap this up with a couple thoughts about persecution We've been very blessed in the West, especially for about the last two or three hundred years, and that the West has been largely Christian. Not that people have all been Christians, but we've lived in this world of Christendom, where Christian values and where the church has been valued and honored. And we've been the gracious beneficiaries of a lot of that. And for most of us, we really don't know what persecution is, not on a very large scale. Uh, but uh, news flash, if you haven't seen this in your news feed yet, I'm telling you, the world is changing. And you are no longer liked by the world. Right? 
And if you haven't caught that, you really need to watch more news, right? Because I'm telling you, you, you've become an enemy of the state in the West, right? Not not just in in Asia and places where the or in the Middle East, but in the West, right? Um, the 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 battle cry of the modern world is you must be tolerant. Have you heard that word? You must be tolerant. Well, what does tolerant mean? Well. It's a word that uh, the West uses a lot, and it's become the price of admission into Western society. If you want to be a part of Western society, you must be the living embodiment of tolerance. If you are not tolerant, you are kicked out of society, and you are an enemy of society and the state. So what does tolerance mean? Well, it used to mean that, uh, that there is objective truth that can be known, that various people and groups can, uh, can think they know what the truth is, and that as people disagree and dialogue and debate with their conflicting views of truth, everyone will have an opportunity to learn and grow and change and possibly arrive at truth together. So what it used to mean is you had ideas and I had ideas, but we, we understood that we couldn't both be right, right. Somebody was wrong, and mostly it was you, because I was always right, right? So, but that's not tolerance. So we, we say, well, they're, they're, we, we share we have these views. Um, but if we discuss in dialogue, we can come to truth because there is objective, real truth, right? But that has all gone by the wayside. And now tolerance means this. It means there is no objective truth that can be known. There's no right and wrong. There's no facts. Various people and groups do not have truth, but they only have their opinions and what they believe about truth. Therefore... People should not argue or debate their disagreements because there is no truth to be discovered. And to assume otherwise only leads to needless conflict and prejudices. Um, so, So what that means is if you have an opinion that there is objective truth, if you make claims that the Bible speaks that truth because it's revealed from God, that it's not something we can argue about, that there is right and wrong, that God is the way he is, the way he's described himself, if you make those claims, you are prejudiced and you are filled with hate because you are telling people their opinion is wrong and that is being intolerant. Well, it's a problem for us as Christians because we believe that God's word is not arbitrary. We believe it is clear, hard, objective truth, Uh, that the message of the gospel is objective truth. And that there, uh, the, the Bible clearly spells out, for example, moral right and wrong, right? moral absolutes, which means your, your, your immoral lifestyle is not a sexual preference, right? Immorality in your life is not simply a sexual preference. Um, you know, the favorite flavor of ice cream is a preference, you know, like chocolate chip mint, vanilla. Okay, that, that, that is a preference, the color of your clothes you think looks good on you is a preference, regardless of what everybody else thinks. You think you look good in, you know, a certain color. It's your preference. Good, right? Your sexual behavior is not a preference, right? It's not a preference. Scripture is clear about that. God created us, and he has the right and authority to tell us how it works, right? How, how it works. Imagine I have a, a Suzu truck, right? Made by Isuzu, manufactured by Isuzu. And so Isuzu wrote an instruction manual, an owner's manual, 
that tells me how my truck will run well. And that truck, that owner's manual says, warning, uh, use only diesel for fuel. Right? Uh, it won't run if you put anything else in it. Uh, how absurd would it be if I said, well, who is a Suzu to tell me what to do? I bought this truck. It's my truck. I'll put any, anything in it I want. Right? I'm going to put, and forget gasoline. I'm going to use water. Water is cheaper. I'm going to put water in my truck. You're going to tell me what to do, right? It's my preference, right? It's my fuel preference. How's it going to work for you? It's going to work great on the first tank until you pull out of the gas station and, and you killed the truck, right? It's not going to work. It's not going to go, right? God created us, and Scripture is, its, is our owner manual, and, and God has spelled out how life's going to work, right? It's not arbitrary, and we don't get to make it up. But the world we live in is, um, ironically, extremely intolerant when it comes to tolerance, right? Uh, extremely intolerant if you don't play by their rules, right? They will not tolerate you if you boldly proclaim you are an evangelical Christian who believes in the Bible as God's inspired word and that their lifestyle and is sinful, that they are headed to eternal destruction in hell, and that their only hope is the exclusive message of the gospel as the only way that can save them, that no other religion can lead them to God. That is unacceptable in today's world. And it's a problem for us because that is our sole message. It is the heart and core of what we believe. Therefore, you are now an enemy of the state. Right? You are an enemy of society. Right? Uh, and if you don't believe me, just look online. Right? Story after story after story of people who are being uh, put in jail, sent to court. I saw a great video, a five-minute video, about a German pastor who's been now tried and prosecuted by two different government agencies in Germany simply because he's teaching the Bible. And he is not politically correct. Right? That's the world we live in now. Um, but Jesus says this, um, and, and, and here's the here's the thing. You know, a lot of Christians are thinking, okay, we gotta we gotta go to work, and we've got to regain our influence in society. Right? We're losing our influence in society. We need to do something to get back our impact and our voice. Okay, here's a suggestion. Uh, you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You will be persecuted for my name's sake, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. You want to have influence in society? Suffer. Right? Get persecuted. Go to jail. Stand before kings and judges and proclaim the gospel. Jesus says that's how you will have influence. Right? That's how you will have influence. By being persecuted. Uh, the word witnesses, it says literally we will be witnesses. Okay, We will have a witness. What does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a legal term uh, for a trial. And a witness is somebody who's brought into the courtroom or brought into an environment where they are called to confirm something as true, to give evidence or to testify that something is true, um, to give proof that it's factual. 
Jesus says when you are persecuted, you have this incredible opportunity to confirm that the gospel is factual. Well, how do we do that? How do we prove the gospel through persecution and through suffering? Well, I think two ways, at least two ways. First, uh, Jesus says it gives you a great audience, right? Um, you get arrested, you get, to, you get to appear before really important people, right, that you wouldn't otherwise. And they get to ask you questions and you get to answer, right? So Apostle Paul, right, he ends up before all kinds of kings and rulers and really, really super important people that uh, if he had written them a letter and said, hey, I'd like to come share with you something I learned about what Jesus has done in my life, they would not, not welcome him. But now, right, there, he's, 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 he's a witness to them. Right? Um, I'm experiencing this every, every week in my life right now because I've become a, a great fan and I'm well-loved by Thai immigration. Right? And uh, we're, we're best friends. And they come often and they ask me all kinds of great questions. And I get to bear witness. Right? And they were here just this last week. Again, a whole committee of them. Uh, immigration police and HR people. And some of you have probably had the same interviews. And you've got this great opportunity to bear witness to these government officials. Why in the world are you crazy people coming to Thailand? Please stop. We can't because we're here to show God's love and to proclaim the gospel. Second, Second reason, second way that we prove the gospel through persecution um, is this. Uh, it, it is an incredibly strong and compelling piece of evidence that the gospel is true when people die for their faith. Okay. It's, it's an incredible opportunity to verify how serious this message is to us and how firmly we believe in it when we get the privilege of suffering for it. Okay. Now, of course, we don't like this. And we don't necessarily sign up for this, but it's true. Right? When people die for their faith, it means we believe it all out. Right? We would die for this message because we are so convinced it's true. Uh, just a couple of months ago in, uh, uh, in April, a number of Ethiopian, Ethiopian Christians were, were killed by uh, Muslims in Libya. And a, uh, a journalist there and wrote this about it. He said, it caused a wave of anger amongst Christians and also among Muslims who called for justice. It was very moving to watch the Ethiopian scene with the massive numbers who erupted in solidarity with the families of Christian martyrs who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. The protesters wanted justice for the beheadings and shootings shown in a video released by ISIS. The Ethiopian victims are widely believed to have been captured in Libya while trying to reach Europe. Christian Ethiopians are angered at the massacres and at the video. Um, what What is definite in this context and what is becoming obvious from the events Uh, the world is witnessing in the Middle East, is that there are Muslims who are questioning all the violence and and who are standing alongside the followers of God. It is obvious there are folks who claim the religion of Islam and they too weep for the blood of Christian saints. Uh, One very moving video I found was of a Muslim girl who weeps for the Christians massacred. She bravely gave her name and sent her message to ISIS. You are animals. You are criminals. You are not the sons of Adam, but are sons of Satan. Uh, and then she kind of goes, may, may, may God burn you in hellfire. Who are you to judge between Muslims and Christians, right? Um, it's horrible what's happening. 
But it is a witness to many, many Muslims who are seeing that Christians will die for their faith. It is proving the truth of the gospel. Jesus says, commit to be unprepared. So how do we respond? How do we prepare for this kind of persecution? Jesus says, don't prepare. He says, settle into your minds. Commit, therefore, that you will not meditate beforehand how to answer. Literally, it means don't practice. Don't, 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 don't write a script. Don't prepare and practice ahead of time for how you're going to defend the gospel. Instead, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to contradict. Um, and here's why I think Jesus says this. And here's the danger, and this is exactly what's happening in the church right now. As we have decided that we need to prepare ahead of time a defense to address what's happening with society. But we've done it with human wisdom instead of God's filling us with his spirit. And, and the temptation is this. The temptation is to evade persecution by making the Christian message likable. By making the truth of the gospel popular and appealing to the world who Jesus says should hate it. Uh, we are to be witnesses to the truth, not spin doctors who craft a gospel that the world will approve of. Right? The, the gospel is offensive. Right? If you are making it attractive, you are changing the message. Now, now, and I know a lot of you guys deal with contextualization, and, and I believe in contextualizing the message. Contextualizing the gospel means making it clear so that... Uh, Unbelievers understand the message. Contextualization should never be altering the message so that people like the message. Huge difference. Huge difference, right? We need to be bold and faithful witnesses who proclaim the gospel boldly as it is. Contextualize it as you must to make it clear and understood by those you are communicating it to. But do not ever make it attractive to them. Right? It will, the, the gospel will not um, change people because they like it. It will change them because it is the unchanging truth about the almighty God who in, who in his grace has acted to save us. Right? The gospel does not have power because it fits into popular thought and culture. It is... It is powerful and has the capacity to redeem and transform culture. Sadly, the church is caving in on this one, and we are not being witnesses because we are trying to evade persecution. We, We need to come before God and say, God, I want to be a witness for you. I want to boldly proclaim the gospel because I believe it with all my heart. And I know it will be offensive to the world, but bring it on. Right? Bring it on. Bring on the persecution so I have the opportunity to prove how serious I am about this message. That it is a message worth dying for. It is a message worth losing family over. And in Thailand, how many people will not give their lives to Christ because they're afraid they will lose their family? They will lose their family. And they need to know that. We need to know that, right? Uh, Jesus says that's what it means to endure. 
He says, not a hair of your head will be harmed. Uh, And those who endure will save their souls, will see God's salvation. We must wait patiently, not caving into the world, but becoming bold witnesses for him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.